believe that, let me hear your hands this morning. God is with us. I want to say a big thank you to those of you that participated in Glow in the Dark um, last night. How many of you were participating in Glow in the Dark? Let me see your hands. All right, give it up for all of those that were involved in that. It was a great night. I helped out at one of our sites, and it's just kind of interesting. We had some Christian music, a little bit dated, but Christian music playing in the background, and some teenage boys walked up, and so, I, how many just have little irksome irritations, you know? I think when you're 12, you ought to quit trick-or-treating. I just, that's just, you know, when you're 40, it just doesn't wear well. It doesn't. So these teenage boys walk up, and they're being teenage boys, you know, strutting their stuff. It's about the end of the time, and I'm thinking, I've been grilling hot dogs here for an hour and a half, and I'm in no mood for stupidity. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then the music's playing, and one of them said, I know that song. Who's that group? And then they start talking about how they love Hillsong, and they're looking forward to Winter Jam. And this group of Christian boys came in. We had a great conversation. So be careful. Don't judge a book by its cover. So just, especially on Halloween. So thank you. I can't tell you how many people said thank you for providing an atmosphere um, for the neighborhood. So we're, it's a good thing. We'll hopefully have some totals of how many people were ministered to or touched. Um, we do have a concert coming up, the Guardians. You can still sign up and get tickets. You can do that in the lobby at the kiosk, or you can ask for one of us to help. We can help you with that. It's kind of the traditional um, quartet music, more than the Southern Gospel style. They do a great job. You're going to enjoy that night. Join us for that. And then I need you to really grab hold of this. Next Sunday, we're hosting the Chi Alpha Light Conference. That's leaders and students from throughout this central region, seven state area, or however many states it is for Chi Alpha, I'm not sure. But a number of states will be coming together for this conference. 260 Chi Alpha people will be joining us between the two services next Sunday. So just want you to know you need to come here early to get your seat. We will have overflow in BSC if you want to sit in there. And I'm, the reason I'm telling you this is if crowds intimidate you right now under our current culture, you can join us online. We'll still be, have our online presence. But I didn't want you to be surprised and wondered if we'd been taken over by aliens. We have not. Those are all Chi Alphans. And we're looking forward to a great time. So be ready, praying for that. Our speaker will be a superintendent from the Northeast of the United States, Nick Fatato will be here to minister, and it'll be a great Sunday. The energy in the place will rise. Our use of coffee will go through the charts. And uh, so just come expecting God to touch your life. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we finish this series of being partakers of the divine nature. Peter is talking to us from the platform of strengthening the brothers. You remember how he failed and denied the Lord, and Jesus said, when you're converted, strengthen the brothers. Second Peter is his farewell letter to those believers that he writes to. He knows he's going to die soon. And three short chapters give us his perspective on what matters as you come to the end of life. In chapter 1, he tells us to embrace our calling, to add to our faith, to grow, that if you do that, you won't need to fall. Chapter 2, he says, to guard against deception. You need to guard against false prophets. And then chapter 3, he gives us guidance on how to make it through the end times, all right? So chapter 1, grow in your relationship, your calling before God, guard against false teachers, and be ready to endure through the end times. Now, does that mean we'll go through the tribulation? No, the tribulation is the wrath of the Lamb on a world that has rejected him and a call of Israel back to repentance. The church will be gone. But don't for a minute think that that means you're going to escape tribulation in the sense of trouble in our world. Because the Bible talks about a time of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows and labor pains that will precede that. And we will experience all of those end time pressures. So Peter is saying, as we get closer to the Lord's return, the pressure is going to increase and we need to be ready to endure that. How are we going to do that? That's what chapter 3 talks to us about. And when you think about it in context of chapter 2, guarding against false teachers, he's really saying to us, that we can't blame false teachers if we get in trouble. 
You have to prepare your own heart. If you fall to deception, it's not the fall of the false teacher. It's the fall of the soil. The place where it lands. We work hard in the United States for a number of things. We're capitalists. We believe that our work should be rewarded with our uh, uh, prosperity. How many believe that if you work hard, you ought to be paid well? You know, we're for that. We also have an independent spirit. No one's going to tell us what to do. And the third thing that's really part of the American culture, we avoid personal responsibility. (laughs) We want what goes wrong to be somebody else's fault. How many know what I'm saying? I love reading insurance claims, the funny ones that come along, and I have a few that just kind of capture that. One person wrote, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) I thought my window was down, but I found out it was up when I put my hand through it. I'd been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel. You should get out of your car every two years. You really should do that. The pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran over him. I won't say I've never been tempted. You want to get under my skin? Walk down the middle of the lane in a Walmart parking lot. What in the world? Get... Anyway... I love this one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and drove over the embankment. (laughs) It's always somebody else's fault. How many know we're always looking for it to be somebody else's blame? And Peter is saying, in the end of time, you're not going to have anybody to blame but yourself. You need to grow in God's calling on your life. Not just your relationship, but your calling. And you need to be aware of false teachers, but you need to guard that you not get carried away with the error of the lawless. Do not get carried away with the spirit of the age, with the lawlessness of the world that we're in. So in order for us to do that, this may seem a bit random from Peter's perspective, but it really wraps together. We have to understand the end times. The end times, the end times were not given to us so that we could write books and see who can have the deepest, mysterious understanding of the end. Why would Jesus tell us about the end? Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. Why would Peter and Paul write about the end times? Why the great revelation um, account for us to follow in Daniel and Isaiah and the stories of the prophets? Why are they there? Not for our entertainment, but for our preparation that we'd be aware of what's coming so we wouldn't be surprised. My mother grew up in Albert Lee, Minnesota. She decided after uh, retiring that she didn't want to deal with the snow anymore. So she moved to Florida, where it is just beautiful and wonderful all the time. Except she discovered that it's as bad in the summer in Florida as it is in the winter in Minnesota. You still can't go outside in either of those contexts. And then after she lived through two hurricanes... She decided, I guess I'll move back to Minnesota. You see, you shouldn't be surprised by the context that you live in. When you live in Florida, you're going to deal with oppressive heat and hurricanes. When you live in Minnesota, oppressive cold and snow. That's why the best place in the world to live is central Iowa. Hallelujah. Don't be surprised by the context. Don't be surprised about the end times. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so we need to not ignore it. It bothers me when Christians say, well, I just don't study the end times. I don't worry about that. You should because we're living in them and having an understanding of them will provide you some stability when you look at what's happening around us. So in chapter 3, verse 1, dear friends, this is now my second epistle to you. I've written both of them as reminders. 
to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, to stimulate your mind, stimulate your mind. It means to arouse or wake up. The King James says to stir up. We need to engage our minds in preparing to live out our faith. You don't check your brain at the door. You don't decide to stop thinking. You don't put it in neutral and coast. It's not like a car wash. You drive in, put it in neutral, and let it pull you through. You have to engage your brain. You have to do some thinking. And if there's anything that I could do to help people make it through the end times would be to say, stop being ignorant and uninformed and start thinking. God gave you a brain. Stir it up. Sharpen it. Use it. Build on that and use it for, for, the, for the ways that honor God and build his kingdom. Stir up your mind. Engage your mind. Engage your thinking. I read an article this morning <laughs> that said that the, the, that the world is plagued with stupid people. And one of the points was how to identify stupid people. I don't need help with that. I've, I've never looked at someone and thought, I wonder if they're stupid. I'm sure people have looked at me and thought, I wonder if he's stupid. I, I get that. But the goal should be engaging not just by emotions. Where Pentecostals get in trouble is we engage our emotions. We engage our heart. We respond to what feels good. And we don't engage our brain to dig into the text, to dig into the scriptures, to look for ourselves what it says. We, you know what a Berean is, right? I mean, scripture defines that. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word um, with open minds and Search the scripture daily whether those things were so. They received the word readily. So they came to church to receive, but they dug in. They used their brain. It is spiritual to use your intellect. And Peter says, you've got to start thinking, people. You've got to stir up your mind in wholesome, godly ways. And when you do that, he says, I want you to recall the words that were spoken to you. Recall the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. Scripture will stimulate your thinking. Get in the word of God. If you want to make it, you've got to know what the word of God says. Biblical illiteracy in American churches is at an all-time high. Because we've built kids ministry and youth ministry around entertainment and activities. And we've built the worship service around an experience that feels good. And we haven't really drilled down to what the word of God says. I'm not suggesting we have to go to the old model of a Sunday school class and have certain things happen in a certain way. But somehow we have to know what this book says. Come on, somebody help me this morning. This matters. We have to know what it says and drill down into it and spend time engaging it. That's why we do all the things we do here with our students to get them in the word of God. It's not enough to have a Kool-Aid coordinator leading our youth. We have to have a disciple maker. It's not enough to have a game player in our kids ministry. We have to have a disciple player uh, uh, leader. The same thing is true in nursery ministry. Before they can cognitively respond, they'll experience the love manifested to them. What I'm saying to you is we need to know what the word of God says and and let it stir up our minds. Some years ago, I read about a man who had some revelations about the time of the Trump election and all the things that were going to happen. And he got a few of those things right and some of those things wrong. And nobody talks about what he got wrong. But at the time, we're all taken up with him. And here's what I heard him say. He said, I read 42 papers every morning. You need to read more of the word than you read of the paper. You need to read more of the word than you read of Facebook. You need to read more of the word than you do conspiracy theories. Come on, someone help me this morning. You know what I'm telling you is true. We fill our minds with the wisdom of the world and wonder why we don't have the wisdom of God. If you want to have the wisdom of God, you have to fill your mind with the word of God and stimulate it with what the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles had to say. Engage your thinking, stimulate your mind by the word of God. Get it on the inside of you. And then verses 3 and 4 to understand the end time paradigm. So while you're engaging your brain, while you're thinking about what the word of God says, 
understand the truths of the end time that should guide us through the days in which we live. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples of why that matters. My first involvement in the political realm was in the campaign of Pat Robertson. How many of you remember Pat Robertson running, not Pat Paulson, but Pat Robertson running for president? How many remember that? We were pastoring an old wine and, and he had this whole paradigm, but it was built on a faulty premise, not his faith. But he believed this, that, that if he were elected president, we would establish a forum for Jesus to come back. We'd get the world ready and set up his throne and then Jesus would just come and sit on it. It's called kingdom now. And if you're, listen, if your eschatology is wrong, it's gonna drive you to wrong choices and wrong behaviors. We're not gonna set this world up. The United States doesn't have control of what happens globally. When Jesus comes, it says it'll be as in the day of Noah, as in the days of Lot, that the elect could be deceived. It's going to get worse and worse. And we need to understand that we're not going to win all the battles, but that doesn't mean we stop fighting the battles because there has to be light in a dark place whether we win or not. We need to stand for righteousness, understand the paradigm. And Peter says, here's what you need to understand about the end times. He captures it in these verses. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. People, scoffers, following their own evil desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since our ancestors died, everything continues as it has been since the beginning of creation. He says, mockers are going to come making fun of the doctrine. And I'm telling you, if you listen and look around today, you have to admit that that day is on us. Everywhere around, the idea of the rapture of the church is ridiculed and mocked. Just talk about the rapture and someone on the outside and some inside the church will say, you believe that Jesus is going to appear and may people mystically just disappear off the planet? You're one of those? Yes, I am. I watched a Law & Order episode that was released in 2009. The owner of a rapture website was killed by a man working to return Soviet Jews to Israel to fulfill biblical prophecy. Now think about that. Um, what they did with that story, a man running a rapture website is killed by a man trying to get Jews to the Holy Land to be annihilated so the end of the world will come. Two different eschatological positions results in the death of one. And those who talk about the rapture would say, are, you're not one of those, are you? In 2013, there was a movie release called Rapture Palooza. Lindsay Lewis and her boyfriend Ben House are left on the earth after the rapture. The souls of the worthy are taken to heaven while everyone else has been left behind. The people left on earth must fend for themselves. In a world now plagued by evil locusts that constantly yell suffer, talking crows that use profanity, brimstone, ghosts, and storms that rain blood. A politician named Earl Gundy takes control of the government, begins to call himself the beast, and Lindsay's mother, a fervent Christian, was raptured, but becomes the only person sent back after starting a fight in heaven. The review says an extremely sexually explicit slapstick take on the rapture that is not coy and lampooning of religion. Andre Kudrescu, a Romanian-born American poet, said this on National Public Radio. The evaporation of four million people who believe in this garbage would leave the world a better place. The evaporation of four million people who believe in this garbage would leave the world a better place. NPR demanded the apologize, and he says, I simply described the pamphlet, and I guess I used language that offended the Christian coalition, but I, do, I apologize for the language, but not what I said. 
2020, Rolling Stone magazine calls the rapture an apocalyptic myth in an article dealing with Trump supporters. Why would Rolling Stone magazine talk about the rapture, calling it an apocalyptic myth that Trump supporters believe in? I'm telling you, there's a mockery that is rising up that's going to continue to rise. And what should you and I do? We need not back up from the truth. They mocked Noah in his day until it started to rain. They'll mock us until the church is raptured. And we need to not back up from that. And Peter is saying, Saying clearly, scoffers are going to come. The ridicule will get greater. If you can't take being made fun of, if you can't take being teased, if you can't take being ridiculed, then get a little steel in your backbone and a little more of Holy Ghost anointing on your life because those days are coming and we're going to have to be able to stand in the face of opposition, mockery, sarcasm, and ridicule. And Peter says, if you want to make it in the end time, you need to be ready to deal with that kind kind of an atmosphere. The day is gone. The church will be respected in the, in the, in the uh, secular culture. So what he says to us in verses 5 to 7 is don't be willingly ignorant. So if you're in a stimulant, in other words, don't be stupid on purpose. <laughs> Engage your mind. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Be a thinker. Get into the word, stand where the word stands, and don't choose to be ignorant. They chose to forget the past, and the word means to be unaware or hidden, and they willingly hide the truth. What truth do they begin to hide? Number one, he tells us, we're talking about engaging your intellect. They choose to ignore the truth about creation. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of faith. How does it begin in this catalog of faith heroes? By faith, we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. Let me tell you what's happening in our culture today in regard to creation. There's a growing move to de-emphasize the hand of God in creation among, create, among Christians and replace it with some kind, of, um, some kind of theistic evolution that God stepped back and just watched. And I'm telling you, don't be stupid. Look at the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And you change this world that we live in by half of a fraction of a percent, and we're all dead, and it doesn't exist. The world has never been able to come up with an answer to spontaneous generation of life. They have never been able to put together inanimate chemicals, put it to any kind of scientific test, charge it with as much electricity as you want. They have never been able to prove or or never been able to produce life. Why? Because the life of man is the breath of God and the source of that is God the Father. And when you look at this world system, church, stand up and say, I believe that this world was formed by the hand of God Almighty and I'm not backing up from that. Now you can believe other kinds of theories around that and how it happened, but the anchor to that and the deception that overwhelms people is when they disconnect the creation of this world from the hand of God he made this world come on he made this world however you want to believe it happened I won't argue with you I told you who I am and what I believe I, I spoke at a at a, a graduation um, I can't think of what they call it now but the, uh, where, they, where they gather together families it's religious um, service asked me to speak, and there was great tension then on creation. And here's the question I'd pose to you. I don't care, right now, I don't care what you believe about the creation. If you want to believe the day gap theory, I don't care. If you want to believe that God used evolution as a tool, I don't care. I want to ask you a question. Do you serve a God that's big enough that he could have created this world in six days? Whether you believe he did or not, 
Do you believe he's big enough that he could have? To me, that's the issue. If he's not big enough to have done that, how is he going to handle my forever, my eternity? Those that got deceived, disconnected from the creation story and willingly forgot it, put it behind. Second, he says they forgot about Noah's flood in verse 6. When I was in Bible college, I took some extra classes to finish out a bachelor's equivalent. And one of my assignments was to do a study on the flood. There are those that would say that Noah's flood was regional. It wasn't worldwide. And I'm just going to tell you, if you just study a little bit, do a little work on Noah's flood, there are certain things that happen in the geological strata that can only be defined by a worldwide flood. There are other things that we would look at and understand that can only make sense by a worldwide flood. The Tetonic plates that shifted and, and that belief that one landmass separated makes total sense if you believe in a worldwide flood Every people group around the world, whether they know God or not, has some story of a flood that destroyed lives. I did the research. I've done the work. And I'm telling you that what the Bible says is verifiable scientifically. It's verifiable, it's verifiable historically. And the truth of the matter is simply this. The thought of every man's heart became evil continually. And man had moved and embraced sin, drinking it like water, moving beyond beyond being redeemed and the people that God had created to be a people that would serve him throughout eternity had lost the image of God walked away and there was only one family that carried that image into the future they had become irredeemable that's why God says in Genesis 6 my spirit will not always strive with man what does that mean it doesn't mean that man gives up but you can so sear your conscience you can so so to evil you can so live an ungodly lifestyle that you can't hear the message anymore that it doesn't resonate that your heart has become so hard that truth won't uh, won't won't penetrate and God in that moment said the only redemption for mankind is to send them to their eternal judgment and pull out a family that will carry the truth. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 600 years without a convert. And they just put that away. It's a myth. It's a story. It's a legend. Peter says, don't throw away the creation story. Not if you want to make it. And don't throw away the Noah story. We need to keep that in the forefront. And then verse 7, he warns this. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We need to not forget the truth about future judgment. You see, it's easy to believe that this world will not be destroyed by fire. It's easy to believe that it will go on forever if you forget that it was created by the hand of God. If you forget that a worldwide judgment has already happened once, Peter is saying in the end time paradigm, you need to remember that there is a day coming that this world will be destroyed by fire. It will be at the hand of God. How that will happen, there's a great deal of speculation. I'm just telling you that we need to live our lives with that in mind. Why? Because when you live with future judgment in mind, you have to tell yourself that this world is not all there is. Being a success here is not the only thing that matters. That getting ahead now isn't what it's all about because everything around us will be consumed and only what's invested on the other side will last. If you're building your kingdom here, it's going to burn. But if you're building your kingdom there, it'll be waiting for you when you cross over that eternal threshold. He's saying, don't forget that God created this world. Don't forget he already judged the world once. And don't forget another day of judgment is coming. It'll give you a perspective that will help carry you through. Second, don't forget God's promises. Stimulate your minds with the word of God concerning the future of the church as we draw closer to the Lord's return. Willingly ignorant mockers will try to stamp out your faith. So, verses 8 to 10, don't forget God's promises. That's the good news. Hello? Hello? The promises of God are real.
Now, this, this could help somebody this morning. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. People use that to try to unpack a Bible timeline that isn't being given in the context of measuring time in the end. He's simply saying this. God is not subject to your timetable. He's not subject to your timetable. I need it right now. He knows when you need it. Maybe you need to sit a while. Maybe you need to ponder a while. Maybe he's got another plan. You see, I, I don't know if I talked about this this week or on Wednesday night. Either way, it's the same. God doesn't live limited by time. God doesn't live in the present. God lives in the past, the present, and future all at once in a dimension beyond ours that he sees everything at the same time. Pastor, can you explain that? No, I can't, and that gives me hope. The day that I can explain everything um, about God makes me bigger than he is, and he no longer ceases to exist. There are mysteries in Scripture. There are things that I can't get my brain around. There are things that don't make sense, and that gives me hope because if I think about it, a God that's bigger than I am would be bigger than my ability to understand and gives me an ability to trust him that maybe he can handle the things I don't understand because he's bigger than my understanding. Hallelujah. His timetable is different than yours. <laughs> Have you ever prayed, God, I need this by Friday? Well, you arrogant little Christian punk. Who in the, who do you think you are? God has a different timetable. He says to not forget that. Time, this is gonna sound weird, but I want you to think about this, okay? Grab hold of this. Time is a product of time. What do you mean by that? Do you know there was a day before Genesis 1-1 when time didn't exist? Do you know there's a time after the end of the book of Revelation, the Bible says time shall be no more? Now, I, this is one of the things that just causes my brain to short circuit when I think about time. And this was a struggle for me in high school, wrestling with faith and trying to figure this out. So, I understand how time can go forward forever. I don't have any problem with that. I'm trying to figure out how time started before there was time. If there was no beginning, how did we get to the present? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I am, I am a certain number of years old. That means I had a start date. And you ever notice little children who don't believe that parents had a life before they were born? Where was I in this picture? You weren't here. Then where was I? Life isn't measured by your existence. How in the world do we get here if there's no beginning? I don't get it. I can't think about that very long. My brain starts to short circuit and smoke and sparks come out. And I trust that because God says it's true. And it makes sense. So then when I am all bogged down with time as it is now, I have to remember there was a time when there wasn't time. And there's coming a time when time will be no more. So maybe I should trust time which is a product of time to the one who created time, the one who is timeless. Hello? Don't forget that. So when you get, I want to say something here that I can't. Let me think of a different way to say that. When you get all worked up on the inside, just take a breath. Because he can turn a day into a thousand years. And he can compress a day into an hour, a thousand years into a day, because he sees it all in one place. Don't forget God's promises. So then, he says to us that while we not forget his promises, don't forget his timetable and the promises of God, 
Remember God's commitment. Now, listen to what he just said. This will help somebody this morning if you'll grab this and get this in your spirit. Do not forget one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Everybody say that with me out loud. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Say that again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Say it with me again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. I would encourage you to put that on your mirror in the bathroom, your mirror in the bedroom, your your refrigerator, uh, wherever you go the most often. And remind yourself, because how many of you have felt that God's been a little slow in keeping his promise? Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Where was he? Why didn't he do it? The Lord is not slow. So believer, get that out of your head. You may not understand it. It may not make sense to you, but he's not slow in keeping his promise. Are you hearing me right now? That is not the issue. Well, where was he? Why didn't he come through? He's not slow. So whatever is going on, it's not that. It's not that he's slow in keeping his promise. It's not that he's dilatory. It's not that he's forgotten about you. It's not that he put it on the back table. It's not that it's not on his to-do list. He's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness but he's patient with you here's the key he's not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance you mean it's not all about my comfort you mean it's not all about what I want You mean there might be a more altruistic way to view this world? Yes. That the underlying theme of everything that happens from the beginning of time till time shall be no more is time for people to come to faith in Christ. There was a moment where I had a breakthrough in that in my life. And not to go back to that for sympathy, but when our son passed and afterwards, I'm just wondering where God was. Without going into all the details, he let me see that he had a redemptive purpose in my son's passing. And that his promise that to me was slow, isn't slow because I will see him again. And God chose that to present a gospel message for my family to watch a young man face cancer and die without wavering a moment in his faith. They will go into eternity with the redemptive testimony that the promise that I felt like was too slow I wanted him healed here God said I'm not slow in keeping my promise I'm long suffering I'm patient with you because I'm not willing that any should perish why does he let it go on why is it still happening because he's not willing that any should perish and when the door to the ark shuts when the final judgment comes it's all over for mankind when you look at the long suffering of God remind yourself that it's redemption of the lost that moves the heart of God and that's what's happening in the world that we live in men and women boys and girls coming to faith in Christ he's patient waiting on lost ones to come to faith for one more to come so verse 10 says but don't forget the day of the Lord will come The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The day of the Lord, the final judgment, the new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness will come. It's all going to happen. Remember, he already told us there were mockers. He's now telling us it's all going to happen. So church, I beg you, I plead with you. Don't allow your end time fire to be put out by present time scoffers. Keep that in the forefront. He's coming back. He's coming back. There will be a time of the wrath of the lamb released on this earth. 
Israel will look on him whom they pierced and bow before him as their Messiah. There is a day coming that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it doesn't matter how it looks now because God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't let the culture and temperature of this world begin to chill your faith because the love of many will wax cold. Are you hearing me? You've got to keep that eternal dimension in front of you. You've got to keep remembering where we're headed. And it may be a storm today, but Jesus is in the boat and he's going to see us through to the other side. You've got to keep that in front of you. Use your brain and remember the promises of God will come to pass. And then he says, with those two pieces in mind, you're stimulating your thinking and you're remembering the promises of God, live a godly life. Living a godly life doesn't make sense apart from that. The good guys, the good gals don't always win. How many of you have ever had a chance, an opportunity that you could have made more money by lying? You could have gotten through a situation by not telling the truth, by cheating. The, the good guys don't always win. It's not all even here. But when you understand what the word of God says, and when you remember the promises of God, those are the motivating factors to live a godly life. <laughs> oh, please help me, Jesus. It doesn't matter. Is everybody listening right now? It doesn't matter what your opinion of the right thing is. We're living in a culture that if you think it's right, it's good enough. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. What matters is what the word says. Hello? Because we're to think and then we're going to give an account. And when you think and know you're going to give an account, then you've got to live right by the thing you're thinking about, which is the word of God. I read an article this morning about how Christians have misinterpreted scripture and mistranslated it to prove that homosexuality is a sin. Come on, don't be stupid. God made Adam and Eve... Uh, man and woman cleaving to one another. It's the model that he established. However you want to look at it, argue with me all you want about Leviticus and I will win the argument, but you can argue till your ears fall off and you're not going to change what he established in the beginning and creation becomes the model. We've got to understand that your opinion and my opinion don't matter. What matters is what does the word of God say and it calls us to live in a way that honors the word and honors end time judgment and calls us to a godly lifestyle that honors him because there's more at stake than this moment that we call life. Prophecy should shape your identity. Since everything is going to be destroyed, who should you be? Paul, Peter says, think about it. Everything is going to be destroyed. Who then should you be? You should be a partaker of the divine nature. You should be living lives that are tied to eternity. You should be looking forward to new heaven and new earth. We are people of another world, not just another culture, but another kingdom, another world. And when you think about what's coming, who should you be? People that live like Jesus. Come on, somebody help me this morning. People that live like Jesus. Living lives tied to eternity. So then, dear friends, verse 14, since you are looking forward to this, are you looking forward to it? Since you're looking forward to it, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. <laughs> make every effort. Make every effort effort to be spotless blameless and at peace with him that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect it doesn't mean you're going to win every battle but when was when was the last time you thought about what in my life needs to change what in my life isn't where he wants me to be
Am I at peace with him? Am I in right standing with him? Because this world is going to burn. I need to be living a godly life. People who see the eternal perspective are people that are going to live with that perspective in mind. So verses 14 to 16 is prioritize your spiritual growth. Put all your effort into it. He's patient toward those that are coming to salvation. Look at verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear uh, brother Paul also wrote with wisdom that God gave him. Remember, how, does, how do those go together? Because we shouldn't be a stumbling block to anybody. We need to be living in a way that paves the way for men and women, boys and girls, to come to faith in Christ. And he warns us, and can I just ask you to be really careful? Do not twist the word of God because you'll do it to your own destruction. Peter talks about those who takes Paul's writings and twist them, and they do so to their own demise. Do you know what killed the church in the age of Constantine? There are several things that killed the church in the age of Constantine in about 300 AD when the, when the church then lost its way and then headed into the dark ages. One was when it wed to politics. When Christianity became the state church and the Pope ran the government, it brought about the demise in order to reaffirm the traditions of the church. The worship service was put into Latin so that the people could not participate in it. And the Bible was chained to the pulpit because you couldn't be trusted with it. But then there was a man named Martin Luther. There was a man named John Calvin. They stood up and said... The just shall live by faith. It's faith and faith alone. And the second premise was scripture, um, uh, scripture, uh, scripture and scripture alone. I'll get it out. It's the word of God and only the word of God. And it needed to be put in the language of the common man and put back in the hand of the church. Because if God is big enough, listen, if he's big enough to create this world and put us on it, don't you think he's big enough to give us a revelation and talk to us and help us understand what it means? It's scripture and scripture alone. We need to, we need to land on that. Solo scriptura, it's scripture and scripture alone. Don't twist it. I teach hermeneutics or used to teach hermeneutics and one of the principles is this. If the first reading of scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. The best interpreter of scripture is not a commentator. The best interpreter of scripture is scripture. If you read enough of it long enough, you'll find that it answers any questions you have and it speaks as a whole. When we went through a remodel of this building, I heard language I'd never heard before, talking to a decorator and she said to us, all of the colors in the room need to speak to each other. (laughs) But the more she explained it, the more it made sense. They do speak to each other. (laughs) Have you ever been in a room where they were yelling at each other? Have you ever been in a room where, look, they all had the flu? And other rooms that give peace and tranquility? Well, let me tell you about the word of God. Every line speaks to every other line. Every chapter speaks to every other chapter. Every book speaks to every other book. And the only way you'll know that is if you spend time in it. Don't, don't twist it. When the, when the first reading of Scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. Verse 17, but be on your guard. And this is where he wraps it up. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you not be carried away by the error of the lawless. Watch and fall from your secure position. Now hang on, Calvinists. (laughs) He just said it's possible to fall from a secure position. What does that mean? 
I believe that my salvation is secure. I believe that I'm eternally secure because my salvation does not rest on my performance. It rests on his provision. I believe I'm eternally secure. But Peter says, you can fall from that spot. That's not secure no matter what. It's secure as you continue to walk with him. It's not once in grace, always in grace. It's walking in grace and stay in grace. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm saying to you, be forewarned lest you fall from your secure position. He won't drop you, but you can walk away. He gives us that warning. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Don't get carried away with the lawlessness in the world. Stay anchored to the rock. The end is coming. So what should our response be as partakers of the divine nature? Understand the end times as defined by the word of God rather than the prophecy writers of the day. Second, do not forget the promises of God. And third, live a godly life and you won't fall from your secure position you'll stand true. I believe that Peter's appeal is as relevant today as when he wrote it. And so I want us to stand together. And this is my appeal this morning to the body of Christ. You see, I believe in experiential worship. I believe in experiential preaching. But I believe in something more than that this morning. I believe in intellectual pursuits. Here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. God, sharpen my mind and let my mind engage the word of God. There are false teachers that you would never listen to if you would just think. God, sharpen my, I want more than to feel you. I want to know you. I want more than a promise box experience. I want an expositional walk with you that I'm digging out for myself what the word of God has to say. Would you ask him for that this morning as Pastor Nathan leads us in worship? God, sharpen my mind. Let me be a student of your word. Let me stand in the truth of your revelation. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on the cross. Accused in absence of wrong. A sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall The scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul will live Oh, to be like you I give all I have just to know The cross has taught me to live Mercy my heart now to see The day in its trouble shall come I know that your grace is enough The scandal of grace You died in my place so my soul will live all to be like you. I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you.
forever the hope in my heart. One last time, say, Oh, to be alive here, I give up. One of our BSC students preached a short sermon some years ago. It was Craig Noe. I think he was 14 at the time. And he was talking about dating and all the wisdom that comes with that in a 14-year-old. But he said something that I don't know where, you know, how he developed this, but it comes up regularly in staff meeting. He had three points. This, was, this is worth everything. Stop think, ask God. That's a pretty good model. Stop, think, ask God. When our kids were little, my father-in-law, mother-in-law and father-in-law had a dog named Mickey. Mickey was kept in a cage kennel in the house because Mickey was a, a hunting dog and outdoor dog and, and couldn't, couldn't be trusted when they're gone. But Mickey figured out how to get his feet through the bottom of that cage and pull himself around and still pull things into the cage and chew it up. So we were there and Mickey is in the kennel, locked up in prison. And Tiffany was just small. And I walked downstairs and I saw her down on her knees in front of that dog. And she said, think Mickey, think. You wouldn't get in so much trouble if you just think. Think, Mickey, think. I think God looks at us and says, think, church, think. You wouldn't get in such a mess if you'd think once in a while. Think, church, think. Use your mind and stir it up. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. Amen. God bless you. Be a blessing to someone's life today before you go. Encourage someone along the way.